With DK Metcalf officially under contract through 2025, the future's looking pretty bright for the Seahawks on offense. Nick Lee and I are going to take a look at all the contracts on that side of the football and how the Seahawks have set them up for success in the near future on our latest episode of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Blue Friday episode, my co-host Nick Lee. Thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We're now two days into training camp. DK Metcalf's got a brand new three-year, $72 million contract. And the Seahawks look like they have dodged an injury bullet. We've got a jam-packed episode coming your way. Let's get to it. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. A bit of ominous news coming out of yesterday's training camp practice when Pete Carroll dropped the bombshell that Jamal Adams, who did not practice yesterday, wasn't even on the field, had left town to get his surgically repaired left fingers checked out in Dallas. Not a lot of details at the time, and it certainly looked like the star safety could be out for a prolonged period of time. Here's what Carroll said to reporters after the practice that really stirred up Seahawk fans. Jamal's going to take some time here to try to figure out. He, he, you know, he had a couple of surgeries that he was working on, and uh, yesterday his hand just wasn't wasn't right, and so um, he's getting some he's getting some opinions about it. So we'll see uh, see what that means. I don't know right now, but. Um, I don't have any, anything to advance today other than us exchanging uh, conversation last night. But he's, he's looking into some stuff and uh, he's trying to get things figured out. The mood after those comments, especially on Seahawks Twitter, not exactly a positive one, especially with the injuries that Adams has dealt with the last couple of years, Nick. But thankfully, some news coming out on that front today that's a lot more positive. Now, Jamal Adams does have a broken finger on his left hand. And he suffered it in a freak accident at the end of Wednesday's practice. Got the finger caught in a teammate's face mask. Inadvertently broke his finger. But it sounds like he's got a chance, according to the report that came out from Adam Jude of the Seattle Times, there's a shot for him to be back pretty quickly. He'll have a cast on his hand in the meantime. But it sounds like the finger is expected to heal in a few weeks. Have a specialty cast on that finger during the season. But... Very optimistic he's not going to miss much time. So a far better mood today than things looked like yesterday when basically it became the apocalypse on social media. Apocalypse on Seahawks Twitter? Come on, what are you talking about? <laughs> uh, yeah, with, you know, it's not like he's a quarterback where he needs those fingers to throw, you know, like with Russell Wilson last year. It's not quite that scenario as a safety. You know, it's not like he's getting eight, nine interceptions a year anyway. So <laughs> with those hands. Uh, he's just got a different skill set. So, yeah, it's a scenario where he can put a cast on, hopefully, and and, uh, and go about his business. And uh, it's, But, you know, the thoughts start to creep in, you know. Is this going to be a player where it's it's always going to be something? You know, it, it's always is it always going to be something with him? And, unfortunately, can he just get one offseason in Seattle without dealing with an injury? Like, can he go January to August once without dealing with this and just learn about you know, the scheme and, and own his skills there. It just it sucks that that, that it has not happened so far in his Seahawks tenure, you know. And no matter what your favorite team is, you know, what sport you like, there's always those players like, I just, 
it's always something they're, they're so talented they're so they could be so impactful but you know with the mariners you know it's always it's the kyle lewis's and james paxton's before where they have all the ability in the world and they just can't stay on the field you know cj pro we saw that i mean it's not quite that it's i think a bit more extreme now with the trade you made for jamal adams the hall that that you sent it over to the jets and also of course the contract extension that the seahawks offered him mm-hmm. so there's a bit more on the line now um so the thoughts start to creep in you know is this going to be a you know a recurring theme with him it's always going to be something this or that um which you know is a fair question but obviously the 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 mood is a lot better today than it was yesterday it really is and as it should be because you dodged a bullet as i mentioned this could have been bad and i know there were some people on social media yesterday that were giving me some flack because they didn't like it that i mentioned he could be out for a prolonged period of time but you have to remember he had both his middle and ring finger on his left hand fused this offseason by a hand specialist in Dallas. He has had a lot of issues with his fingers, dislocations, fractures, you name it, throughout his career. He's also had two surgeries to repair torn labrums in his left shoulder in back-to-back seasons. So durability is certainly a question mark. So day two, already being without him and having some concerns about an injury that was repaired this offseason – That is never a good omen. So getting the update that came out today that it doesn't look like it's going to be something that's going to impact him long-term. He's going to be able to play through it. It's going to heal, hopefully. And maybe by the beginning of the season, it'll be okay. There was something in Adam Jude's article about the possibility maybe he would have to have surgery on this after the season. But right now, it doesn't look like that's going to be an issue. So maybe he'll be back early next week. We'll just have to wait and see, but the Seahawks, it sounds like they're anticipating that he's going to be available early in August. They're going to have him back on the field. and He's going to be ready to go for the start of the season. But I think you mentioned something there that's certainly worth noting. You've got a new defensive coaching staff. Clint Hurt taking over as the defensive coordinator, Sean Desai, Carl Scott, newcomers in the secondary. There are going to be some significant changes with the way this defense operates schematically. And they've certainly been looking at ways they can maximize Jamal Adams' unique skill set. How can we get him back to racking up sacks as a blitzing safety? How can we take advantage of his skill set as a blitzer and his aggressiveness near the line of scrimmage? Where can we maximize his coverage ability? He played well in a lot of two-deep coverages last year before he got hurt. So they're trying to figure out how can we best utilize this unicorn that can be an all-pro caliber player. He's been an all-pro selection three times in his career. He has a ton of talent. And not having him available on the field to be able to work with the coaching staff and learn the new defense. And not just knowing the plays, but being able to execute it on the field. He's a veteran. It's not going to take him that long to do that. But anytime you have a new coaching staff and you're talking about a player who, as good as he's been, has really not met expectations overall his first two seasons and has battled injuries, certainly that creates some concern for both the players and coaches. I mean, they want to get him out on the field and they want to get him an opportunity to really dive into this defense. And he wasn't out there for OTAs, didn't play in minicamp either. So you don't want him behind the eight ball in week one. I think that's the biggest concern here now. I would expect that he's going to be healthy enough to play at a high level, but is he going to be fully up to speed when the season starts if he has to miss any amount of time in training camp? Yeah, that's my number one concern too. Is is just making sure that you know he, he's not behind the eight ball. He's not. He's he's brought up to speed before week one because really it's all fun and games until week one in September. Then you know it, it's go time. And 
you know, with this being the year three of the Jamal Adams era, and he's really yet to have a fully healthy offseason and now dealing with uh, coaching and, and defensive scheme upheaval, not a great time to, to you know, be watching from the sidelines and not, not getting those reps in practice. Yeah, that's going to be something worth watching here. How long is he going to end up being out? Again, the update today looks like a positive development. Maybe he's back at some point next week on the field and practicing. He's certainly itching to be out there, as Pete Carroll mentioned yesterday. This was not what he wanted to do. He didn't want to have to fly out of town and get this hand looked at. But sometimes things happen. So it looks like that they dodged a bullet, that they're going to have number 33 out there on the field, albeit with a finger that's not fully healthy and is going to be healing over the next couple of weeks. When we return, speaking of the Seahawks on offense, DK Metcalf's got a new contract. He's signed through 2025. Things are looking pretty bright for the Seahawks when you look at the players that are on the roster that are locked up long-term. We're going to be diving into the depth chart, checking out Seattle's cap situation through the 2024 season when we return. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. Find all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. Find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, and combat sports. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering information from live in-game betting, scores, to podcasts. They've got you covered. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today. BetOnline where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Blue Friday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined for today's show by Nick Lee. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen. Five days a week. Yesterday, the Seahawks officially locked up DK Metcalf, the superstar receiver, now under contract through the 2025 season, a record-breaking contract with a $30 million signing bonus the largest signing bonus ever given to a receiver in NFL history, certainly earned that money with his production in his first three NFL seasons. And Nick, I know that there's a lot of doom and gloom in Seattle right now because Russell Wilson slinging the pigskin in Denver. Drew Locke and Geno Smith are the two quarterbacks battling for the starting job to replace Wilson. Most fans don't consider either one of them to be a long-term franchise quarterback. And yet, Aside from that QB situation, now with Metcalf under contract and a number of other key players under contract for at least two more years, it seems like John Schneider's plan, his blueprint to get this team back into contention and set up a bright future is well ahead of where many people expected it would be right now. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the the offensive core that the Seahawks have, and not just for this season, Obviously, it, it might be a bit trivial to talk about the core for this season just because you know, the quarterback situation is, is so fluid and, and so unknown. Um, but when you look at who signed through 2023, so two seasons worth, you got uh, both your starting guards, Noah Fant, who I still think is an uber-talented tight end. Um, so it, you can get maybe, if you, if you nail the quarterback in this coming draft, you can get him on his rookie year with Noah Fant and uh, the two starting guards there. And then you look at also – Three seasons, so 2022, 2023, and then signed through three seasons now with DK Metcalf's new deal. You talk about both of your premier receivers signed through there for the next three seasons. You got both rookie tackles, obviously, on their rookie deals. D. Eskridge is still in there as, as, as your third. So you got probably your top three wide receivers currently on your roster through the next three seasons. And then you got, yeah, your rookie tackles, and you got Will Disley there as a tight end. 
And of course, Ken Walker III, you're the, the running back who I think we can all agree if either Penny doesn't work out or he doesn't come back after this season is your running back of the future. All signed through at least the next three seasons. I mean, all you got to do is nail the quarterback. I mean, <laughs> that's all you got to do. But, you know, the, the Chargers went from Phillip Rivers to Tyrod Taylor to Justin Herbert in that same time frame. The Chiefs went from Alex Smith to winning the Super Bowl with an MVP Patrick Mahomes in that kind of time frame. The Bengals just went from 2 and 14 with Andy Dalton to winning the AFC and making the Super Bowl with Joe Burrow in that same time frame. So, if you don't think the Seahawks don't have the, the savvy in the front office and the, the coaching staff to to at least pull that off or have a chance to pull that off, you're just a blind hater. And it's it's always, you know, an if and a but and you know it's it's not a guarantee, but if you say that there's zero chance that they can't make that kind of turnaround by just nailing the quarterback in the draft with that kind of offensive core for the next three seasons, you're, you're just a blind hater because that offensive core, I would put that offensive core signed through 2024 against just about anyone in the NFL, you know, minus the quarterback, obviously you take out the quarterback and just look at the pieces around any quarterback in the NFL for the next three seasons. I mean, there, there could be maybe one or two that are better than that, but not a ton. And, you know, you nail the right quarterback in the draft coming up and you get two seasons worth with that rookie quarterback, with that kind of offensive group. The Seahawks can make that same uh, similar turnaround. They can be right back in the thick of things in the NFC real quick. Yeah, you got to love the foundational building blocks that the Seahawks are assembling right now or retaining in the case of DK Metcalf that – is going to set up whoever your quarterback of the future is with a really talented roster that's going to be around him. So if they draft a QB early next year, that rookie is getting thrown into a situation that is somewhat similar to what Russell Wilson was thrown into in 2012, where you've got a playoff ready roster around you. Now, obviously there are some questions here. When you look at the players now for our YouTube listeners, I'll post our graphic again, but you look at who's signed through 2022 that's expected to play significant snaps players that are going to be free agents after this year. If Drew Locke wins your starting quarterback job over Geno Smith, both those quarterbacks are on one-year contracts. They're going to be free agents. So if either one of those guys plays into your future, I mean, that's just winning the lottery right now. So that's not a big deal. Rashad Penny, it's a running back who was extremely productive in the last season. If he's able to build off of that, then great. You can re-sign him again. Or you can hand the keys to Ken Walker the third. Picking him in the second round has given you a lot of flexibility at that position. I would say the one spot that is concerning to me, and we've had this discussion, I believe, a few times when you have been co-hosting, Nick, that center to me is still one of the spots that is worrisome. Now, Austin Blythe was a solid mid-level starter a couple years ago at center for the Rams. So he's done it before. And a couple years ago, I would have been totally cool with that signing. I just, the way things went in Kansas City last year for him and watching film more closely, I just have some questions about his viability as a long-term guy. Maybe he's a slight upgrade over Ethan Posick, who's now in Cleveland, had been the starter the last couple of years. And if that happens, okay, good. You, you did upgrade the position. But they don't, in my opinion, have the long-term pivot player on the roster right now. It's certainly not going to be Kyle Fuller or Dakota Shepley. Maybe one of the young guys they have on their team gets a shot uh, shot to play center. Maybe they move like Shamarius Gilmore there. Phil Haynes have been arguing a couple of years. Why not give him a chance to learn how to play center? Damian Lewis has started a game there. So there's some things they could do in-house. But 
it's still a position I feel like they have not done near enough to invest in. You still have that Creed Humphrey cloud that's hovering over you too. And again, it's not taking a shot at D. Eskridge. It's just you had a chance to pick Creed Humphrey and you didn't do it. And that's something that the Seahawks may regret for quite some time, unless Eskridge really blows up in his second season, becomes a quality NFL receiver, and then maybe can be forgiven a bit more. But that's a big miss right now, not picking Creed Humphrey. Blight's on a one-year prove-it deal. So that is a spot that is a question mark. You don't know what Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas are going to do as NFL tackles because they haven't played any games. There's a lot of optimism, a lot of encouragement about them. So the offensive line, you can make an argument there's still some major red flags here just because of the inexperience and who's at center, the, the situation at center not necessarily being ideal. But you look at the rest of the offensive roster, Nick, Noah Fant, two years under contract. Will Disley has three years under contract. So you've got your tight ends. Colby Parkinson's got two more years left in his rookie deal. You're going to have all those guys for two years at least. At receiver, Metcalf and Lockett are on the roster through 2025 with their extensions they've signed in the last year. Swain and Eskridge each have at least two years left under contract. You've got Dariq Young and Bo Melton as rookies that they're excited about that have four years left on their contract if they make the team. So there's a lot of talent in those positions. The, the, the running back spot, maybe long-term, you're not feeling quite as good about depth-wise because DJ Dallas has only got two years left in his deal. Homer's a free agent after this year, as is Penny. But you like the group you've assembled there. And you can re-sign a few of those guys if you want. And drafting running backs have been something the Seahawks have been pretty good at for the most part. So I would just say, when you look at that core of players that they've got signed and the fact that they're supposed to have almost $40 million in cap space next year, over $100 million in cap space estimated by over the cap in 2024, that they've got the financial resources to add talent to this roster. And of course, you've got two first-rounders and two second-round picks next year in the draft as well. So things might not be looking optimistic going into this season for most fans, but you should be at least an offense excited about the future prospects with what they're building here around whoever that quarterback is going to be. Yeah. And my, my ideal scenario, because you bring up a good point. I, anyone who's been following at least the shows where I'm involved, I hate the center situation right now. I, I, I am, I am really worried about that. I don't think we have the answer now. Creed Humphrey still keeps me up at night a little bit, <laughs> but what I would love you know, obviously you want to nail the quarterback in the draft. The Seahawks are going to draft a quarterback um, in the coming draft. I think that's almost a foregone conclusion. Um, and it, it's, I would love if they threw some serious money. I, I haven't looked at, you know, the free agent class in the next couple of years of centers um, or maybe a trade. I would love for them to bring in the quarterback that they're going to push all their chips in on the draft and then go get a proven pro bowl just leader at center to, to kind of spearhead that attack and help, you know, protect that rookie quarterback and get him get him in the right spot and, and kind of level that, uh, you know, and just be that steady presence along the offensive line, especially with so much young talent that you're going to have with those two tackles. Um, just go, going and getting – I think that might be the biggest other question mark besides the quarterback is I think you got to go get a, a proven stud at center and then you get that quarterback, obviously. And then you got the weapons around that you discussed. Holy cow. You know, the next couple of years, this offense could be downright scary if you, if you get a couple of things right, which are, of course, big ifs. Yeah, we've seen some of the other franchises out there, like the Lions and Jaguars, that consistently struggle and consistently have top five picks. They never have been in this position where they have this much skill talent. And then you add in the young offensive linemen they're really excited about. 
they haven't had that type of situation to then bring in another quarterback. And so the Seahawks, I mean, I'm just saying this right now. I, I don't predict this is going to happen. But if the Ravens somehow don't get something done with Lamar Jackson, I'm just throwing this out there. If you're Lamar Jackson, why would you not be intrigued by the possibility? With We're seeing quarterbacks. They have power now. They can make They can make moves. They can get traded. We've seen it with Russell Wilson. If Lamar Jackson doesn't like what the Ravens are doing and he wants to play somewhere else, again, I'm not predicting this, but why as a quarterback, if you're looking for another team to play for, why would the Seahawks not be at the top or very close to the top of your list with their need at quarterback and the players they've got? Who wouldn't want to throw to Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf and Noah Fant and have the running game they expect to have? If you're wanting to play in an offense, you're going to sling the ball 50 times a game. I can understand your reservations. But, I mean, for a guy like Lamar Jackson, this game is built around running the ball, too. I would think that Seattle would be an intriguing landing spot. So, I just – what I'm pointing out here, they have set themselves up to have a lot of flexibility in the offseason next year, whether that's drafting a quarterback high. I think most of us agree that's the route they're most likely to go. But they could maybe go out and make a splashy move to bring in a proven quarterback that has – made Pro Bowls, has been an All-Pro, maybe even an MVP like Lamar Jackson. I mean, I think the Ravens will figure that out. But the point is, quarterbacks, they are power players now, and they can force their way out of town. So they have built a roster where it should be appealing for a standout quarterback. If they want to change the scenery to look here, it would be a very appealing situation for a young quarterback to come in and find success. So I, I want to give a shout-out to John Schneider here. Obviously, there's some uncertainty with the young guys they're bringing on the offensive line, but I do think that the plan is taking shape quite nicely on offense. Now you just got to figure out who's going to be that quarterback to really solidify the entire unit. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I would take out the quarterback over the next three years. I would take that group of weapons and, and skill players on offense against just about any other ones in the league, as far as depth and quality of talent around the quarterback. And you consider all the other resources that they've got, the cap space and the draft picks, to be able to continue fortifying the roster around that quarterback. There's, There should be optimism. And obviously, finding a franchise quarterback is not easy. So I'm not saying that. That is still a huge red flag as part of this rebuilding process. They're going to have to figure that out. It's going to be difficult to find that quarterback. But if they can hit on a good young QB or land a proven veteran with the core they've got here around that quarterback – Seattle's got a chance to be very competitive very quickly. This could be a quick rebuild. You don't find that quarterback, of course, it could end up being a prolonged one with new people running the show. So there's certainly a number of scenarios that could play out here, but I do think the Seahawks have set themselves up favorably to have that quick reboot with the talent that they have away from the quarterback position and the young, intriguing prospects they've got on the offensive line. All right, Nick, it's time for our Blue Friday Game of the week. We actually haven't done this for a few weeks. We're now into training camp, and we decided it's time for some training camp. What's the odds? Got a few offensive categories, a few defensive categories, and maybe even a special teams one. And how this works, if you've never seen the show, pardon the interruption, ours is fairly similar. There's going to be a statement, and Nick and I are going to share what percentage we think is the chance that that's actually going to happen this year, the odds of that taking place this season. Let's start on offense, Nick. And we've been talking the young offensive line and how that's a big part of the future plans for Seattle. So the question here at hand, 
Will both Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas start double-digit games? What are the odds that the two rookies each start at least 10 games as rookies for the Seahawks? So we're talking, you know, 10 out of 17 games for both tackles. Um, I'm going to say this pretty likely. I'm going to go 75% here. Um, just with, you know, who else do you got? <laughs> you know, Jake Curran and Stone Forsyth, really. I mean, that's that's who you're pinning these guys against. Of course, health willing. You know, I think the biggest wild card here is can they stay healthy? I think on paper, obviously, and you line up these guys, you know, health is not a factor. These two are the best tackles you got and that they should be starting if they're healthy. And even if, you know, it's a bit marginal, you just want or like the difference between perhaps, you know, one in Jake Curhan or one in Stone Forsyth. You want that the, the you know, the, the tackles you spent high draft picks on to work out and get that experience, especially with this year you know, being a transitional year, being a year, you're not expected to go very far. You're not expected to win a bunch of games. This is a very much a transitional year, I'm not saying tanking, you know, but very much a transitional year. You want to get those, those tackles with solid, solid ground underneath them in the NFL. So I'm going to go 75%, you know, that 25% for me, that is doubt is pretty much health at this point. I really think that they have a real good shot at starting well over 10 games each. If we were making this betting related, I'm just going to one-up you a little bit. I'm going to go 80% on this one. I think that there is a very good chance that both Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas are starting 10-plus games this season. I think there's a very good chance they're both starting in week one. Now, Jake Curhan is getting the reps at right tackle these first few days of training camp. That did not surprise me at all. He is the most experienced, and it's funny saying that because he started five games in the NFL, but he is the most experienced tackle Seattle has on the roster, and he did play pretty well in those five starts he had late last season. He's a stout run blocker, so they're going to give him an opportunity maybe to try to stake a claim to this position, and they're not just going to give a third-round pick a starting job simply because he was a third-round pick. We've seen that with players in the past, like Amara Darbo, that it just, hey, you were a third-round pick, but it didn't work out. I don't think Abraham Lucas is going to be that kind of a player, though. I think he is going to be a really solid starter for the Seahawks, and I think it's going to happen early. If it's not week one, I think at some point early in the season, they are going to give the keys to him at right tackle. And Charles Cross is the guy at left tackle, day one. He already is the starter over there, so I'm going to go 80%. I would say the only chance here is if somehow Jake Curhan just blows everyone's expectations out of the water and you just can't take him out of the lineup. And I'm not going to say it's impossible, but I think Abraham Lucas is going to start the majority of the games at right tackle this season. Next up, swinging to the outside. This man just got paid. Both of these guys got paid. DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett each surpassed 1,000 receiving yards in 2022. Nick, what are the odds of that happening? Well, you know, any other year <laughs> of the last, you know, six, seven years, or at least in DK Metcalf's time the last few years, this would be a pretty, pretty safe bet. Now, not so much. I'm going to say 40%, slightly less than a coin flip. And it's not them. It's the quarterback, obviously. It, it's And also a little bit of just the offensive philosophy, especially with an unknown at quarterback, or at least a, an elite quarterback, maybe not so much unknowns. Um, it's the running scheme with Rashad Penny and the you know, two-headed monster of the Rashad Penny and Ken Walker show. Um, and they, they've both, of course, the ability is, of course, there. I mean, there's no question whatsoever that both of these, I mean, they've done it. They have, they've done this already. And, uh, and they can do it again with a league average quarterback. Right now, there is not a league average quarterback on the roster, in my opinion. 
But if they did have one, it, this would be much higher than 50%. But right now I'm going to go 40%. It's not them. It's the quarterback situation. And I think that they're going to lean heavier on the run game because of that uncertainty under center. So they, I'm not sure they'll have the opportunity to, but that might just be a one-year thing. They are way too talented. Yeah, I thought about going low on this one too. And maybe if I'm using my brain, I should have a low percentage, but I just can't count out Metcalf and Lockett. These guys are elite talents. And I've been saying all along, I'm still I'm still thinking Geno Smith's the starter in week one. That's where I'm standing right now. I could change my mind in the next few weeks. Drew Locke is not that far behind. But if Geno Smith's the starter, we've already seen what he can do with DK Metcalf. He had a 100-yard game with Tyler Lockett, his last start against Jacksonville. So the rapport with both of them was getting much better towards the end of that limited run as a starter. And so I just have a feeling that both these guys are still going to put up big numbers. I think the Seahawks are going to have to throw the ball a little bit more than maybe people are anticipating. And part of it might be because there's going to be games where they're behind. And the offense isn't going to be able to ground and pound people because of the game situation. So I think there's going to be a lot of targets going their way. And I think Metcalf and Lockett are going to ma- remain productive. So I'm going to go much higher on this one. I'm going 60%, maybe not as high as I would have gone. If this was with Russell Wilson still a quarterback, I'm probably at 85, 90% cause it's basically been a given that those two are going to be around a thousand yards. I can't be that optimistic because of the quarterback situation, as you mentioned, but I am still going to go above 50% just because these guys are elite talents. And I believe they're going to get a lot of targets this upcoming season. We're going to stay out of receiver now, but we're going to go with a youth movement here. And this one was actually brought up by one of our listeners listening to the show yesterday, asking about Derek Young, where he fits into the Seahawks receiving room. So this one's a bit out there. Derek Young finishes third among receivers in receptions and yards. That would be quite the revelation as a rookie being a seventh round pick out of Lenore Ryan, Nick. That would be, especially when you got a guy, you know, like, like D Eskridge, who you spent a second round pick on just last season, not doing, I mean, we're assuming that the top two, of course, are Lockett and Metcalf. Um, but it, it, finishing third in receivers as a seventh round pick is rookie year. Whew, that's a tall order. Uh, I'm still going to go 25%, which I think might even be on the optimistic side of things <laughs> where it probably is, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's, you know, one, one tails out of heads and one tails on a corn four coin flips pretty much. Uh, it, it, it might just be a case where he rises above, you know, the injuries of D Eskridge and, you know, Freddie Swain's still there and, and I think should be respected as as the I think the main challenger to D. Eskridge at this point. Or I think that those two, I think we're, we're all going to assume D. Eskridge and Freddie Swain are going to be the main, at least a beginning challengers for for that wide, the third wide receiver position. Um, but I can see a scenario where uh, Derek Young, just with the physical traits he's got, some of the unknowns, too. We just don't know how good he can be, um, which I think is both exciting and a little concerning. <laughs> you know, that's, there's kind of two sides of the coin there. Um, but I'm going to go 25% just because, you know, there's always that possibility with injuries, especially with what we've seen with D. Eskridge, where he's really struggled to stay healthy and he's on the field. And Freddie Swain did improve a lot last year. I think he could be another wild card. But yeah, I'm not going to say it's impossible. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go a solid 25%. I've been impressed by what I've seen from Derek Young so far. And I talked about it on yesterday's episode that uh, this kid has been showing some route running savvy the first couple practices, and he's clearly got the physical tools. When you're 6'2", 224 pounds, you run a 4'4", 40-yard dash, get close to a 40-inch vertical and a sub-6.9-second three-cone. I mean, he's got the complete package 
size-wise and athleticism-wise. He's played extensive special teams, which is only going to help him and his cause trying to make this roster when you've got so much depth at the receiver position. But I just, I just can't see this happening. I'm going to say 10% just because we've seen crazier things happen in Seattle. And Pete Carroll did compare him to Ricardo Laquette after yesterday's practice. And Laquette had a pretty good career going in Seattle before his unfortunate neck injury that he suffered against the Cowboys. And I can see some of the similarities in terms of size, athleticism, special teams, makeup. It's just hard for me to believe that he is going to put up the receiving numbers that you're going to need to put up to be third in receptions and receiving yards. They still believe D. Eskridge can be the guy, even with the hamstring issue that he's dealing with right now. They're still confident in that. He's going to get all those opportunities. Freddie Swain's been consistent his first two years. I just can't see it happening. So I'll go with 10% just because you can't rule it out. And he's got the physical traits. If he just pops early, then he could be a real surprise. I I just think 10% is probably about as high as I'd be willing to go with the other players he's got around him. Now moving over to the defensive side of the football, Daryl Taylor had a solid pseudo-rookie year last year with six and a half sacks. What's the odds, Nick? Daryl Taylor becomes the third player in Seahawks history with 15 sacks in a single season. That's a huge number. That is a, a hefty, beefy number for sure. Um, again, yeah, only two in Seahawks history have reached that only four in the NFL at all last year reached that number. Only one did in 2020, a guy named TJ Watts, who had a pretty good year last year too. Um, so it's a very lofty number. He would be among the NFL leaders in sacks if he did that, which I think we all can agree. He absolutely has double digit sacks in him. 15 is a lofty one. I'm going to say 10% because it's only been done twice in franchise history. It was only done four times. It's only been done five times the last two years in the entire NFL. So it is a lofty, lofty goal. So I'm going to say 10%. It's not impossible with his physical traits and, you know, just how the league is changing with, with so, so pass heavy, you know, that he's going to have opportunities. Um, And hopefully the Seahawks can, can develop that. And, And I think he has double digit sacks, but 15, that is just a large number. Let's start with baby steps here because six and a half sacks a year ago, maybe move up to 10 to 12 sacks. That seems reasonable to me, but I'm still going to roll the dice and I'm going to say 33%. And here's why it's the scheme. I think he's going to get some really ideal opportunities rushing off the edge in a three, four with his speed, his quickness, his ability to bend around the corner on tackles, underrated bull rushing ability, I saw enough on film last year to suggest to me that when he explodes, it's going to be like top 10, top 15 in the league in sacks type explosion. He's got that kind of ability. I love him in this scheme. He looks like he's put on five to 10 pounds of muscle, good muscle going into this season. Was a little thinner than I would have liked to see him last year coming off his leg injury. Uh, for obvious reasons, but he just looks like he is ready to pop this year. I don't know about 15 sacks, though. Let's take our baby steps. Let's get to double digits, maybe be somewhere near where Frank Clark was at with 13 sacks in 2018. Maybe in 2023, we revisit this and think, hey, maybe he's got a chance. But uh, there's only been one player that's gotten more than 12 sacks in a season in the Pete Carroll era, and that was Frank Clark. Even Chris Clemens didn't quite get there with a couple 11-sack seasons. I just find it hard to believe that he's going to be able to do that. Now, going into the secondary, 
Seahawks cornerbacks intercept six or more passes as a group. Just to put this in perspective, Nick, they had three of them as an entire unit last year. DJ Reed had two, and Ugo Amadi had one. What are the odds that they double that this season? Ooh, and with some of the young, the, the youth that we're going to have, uh, the Seahawks are going to have in the, in the cornerback room this year, um, there, there's there's certainly some, some, some wild cards there for sure. I'm going to go 30%. Because you know you got ball, you got a ball hawk. I think we all can agree. Kobe Bryant is probably going to get get his if he gets if he if he starts a good chunk of games, he's probably going to get some because he just has one. He just has that that edge, that that ball skill mentality. Um, they did reach six in 2020 with Shaquille Griffin, Quentin Dunbar, and DJ Reed. So th- it, there is some precedent there, recent precedent for that. Even if even as even as defense struggled a little bit. So yeah, I, I'm gonna go 30%. It's it's a lofty goal, especially with getting half of that last year. But I think you have a new infusion of talent, although youthful. There's plenty of potential there. You got Tariq Wolin, who I think it just jumps literally jumps off the page at you pretty much, and Kobe Bryant, Sidney Jones, Artie Burns, you know, and and all those. There's just so much talent there, albeit unproven and youthful, to where I could see a scenario where they get six plus, but it's, it's, that's a pretty big number. So I'm going to go 30%, a little less than a coin flip, but not impossible. I must be a little bit more optimistic. I had my optimistic juice today, only doubling going from three to six. It was done two years ago. Put me in for 70%. I think Kobe Bryant is going to start on day one. I've been saying that for the last couple of months. If he's starting with his ball skills, I think he can get you two or three interceptions. That's already going to equal what you had last year. Sidney Jones didn't have a pick last season. I don't expect that to happen again. I think he can get his hands on a couple picks. I mean, I could see Sidney Jones and Kobe Bryant getting to six together just by themselves, especially with this being a more aggressive scheme, a bit more man coverage, the new coaches, the track record they have of generating turnovers. This team just didn't do a good job creating turnovers away from Quandra Diggs last year. I don't expect that to happen. I don't think six is really that much. As you mentioned two years ago, they were able to do it. So I'm going to go 70 for 70%. I'm feeling pretty darn good about this cornerback group and their ability to be able to create turnovers. Whoever wins the starting job, they've got a fun group there with a lot of upside, some youth over there that's got a chance to be really good in that secondary. And last but not least, going to special teams really quick, Nick. What's the odds that the Seahawks will return one kickoff and one punt for a touchdown? The and in there <laughs> is certainly uh, what's going to drive this number all the way down to one percent <laughs> for me. Um, just with Nick is a one percenter today, huh? I'm a one percenter today, and yeah, <laughs> I wish I was the other one percenter. But uh, it, it's uh, it, it's it's been since 2015. It's been since Tyler Lockett's rookie season that they've had a punt return touchdown. That was the hangup for me. Was the punt return touchdown? Um, we've had some weird ones with kick returns. <laughs> But uh, Tyler Lockett, since he was a Pro Bowl, All-Pro return specialist his rookie year, which it's a crime, that's the only time he's been a Pro Bowler was for that return year. Um, since then, they have not had a punt return touchdown. So for me, it's it's the punt one um, that is driving it down to 1%. Yeah, I can't really be any more optimistic on this just with the past track record. Now, I can't go 1% just because we saw Travis Homer last year return an onside kick for a touchdown. I'm not saying that's going to happen again this year, but it does feel like there's some weird things that can happen on kickoffs. And you still have the occasional opportunity if the kicker doesn't boot it out of the end zone and tries to pin you deep. 
uh, with like a one yard line, try to pin teams back. More teams have been doing that the last couple of years. That presents more opportunities to try to return. The blocking rules have changed so much, though, that it's hard to spring a kick returner for a touchdown. I think there's some players that are intriguing. D. Eskridge, the return man, has always been fascinating to me, but he's got to be able to get healthy so that he can contribute there. They got a few other decent players. Bo Melton, the rookie at Rutgers, can return kicks. Dariq Young could maybe return kicks. But I'm going 2.5%, and maybe that's even being generous. I cannot see the Seahawks returning one of both this season. They might have a hard time returning one this season because returning a punt or a kickoff is really hard to do in today's NFL. So I'm going to go very conservative like you, and I'm going to say 2.5%. Very unlikely. Seahawks should be happy if they get one or the other at some point this season. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Nick at Nick Lee 51. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and of course, streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up on Monday, Rob Rang and I will be back in action. We'll be recapping what went down in Saturday's third training camp practice and much more. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy your weekend. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.